Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard, and I'm taking Utah over Florida in their game August 31st. BetOnline has free odds and lines available online or on your mobile device. Visit BetOnline today. The Fred Minnick Show is brought to you by Beeline. Visit findyoursiffingpoint.com and by Michter's American Whiskeys. Hey, I'm Fred. Welcome back to the Fred Minnick Show. I'm so excited to have you, especially today with my special guest, Killer Mike of Run the Jewels. Gosh, is he awesome. I can't wait to get to it. But first, a word from our sponsors. Imagine this, an experience centered around five Kentucky Bourbon Trail craft tour distilleries in northern Kentucky, the gateway to Kentucky bourbon. Add five amazing bourbon-centric bars and five delicious bourbon-focused restaurants, cultivating the freshest takes and culinary delights, and you are on the beeline. Start your trip today at findyoursippingpoint.com. Michter's Distillery, our passion is making the finest bourbon, rye, and American whiskey possible. When you only produce very small batch and single barrel whiskey as we do, each and every barrel has to be perfect. No detail is too small for our production team. From careful attention to the 18-month or more air-dried wood used in the construction of our barrels, to entering our distillate into the barrel at the costlier or lower barrel entry proof of 103 so that it's smoother, to heat cycling our barrel houses, to our signature filtration protocol, we spare no expense in pursuing our goal of making the greatest American whiskey. And no Michter's gets bottled until our master distiller Dan McKee and our master of maturation Andrea Wilson say it's just right. Michter's Fort Nelson Distillery in downtown Louisville, Kentucky is open for tours and tastings. Book your visit on our website and stop by the bar at Fort Nelson for a world-class cocktail. For more information, follow us on social media at Michter's Whiskey, go to Michter's.com, or visit your favorite bartender. Michter's Distillery. It's all about the whiskey. A big shout out to the sponsors. I really appreciate your support, especially during the pandemic. Folks, this interview is really important. You know, in every major equality movement, people stand tall and make names for themselves in an effort to find equality for people. And I just, you know, if we think about it, from Martin Luther King to Susan B. Anthony, history remembers people for their courage to speak in, in times like now where there's strife all across the world. Today I talked to a man who's become a face for the modern social justice movement. You don't have to look very long, I'm telling you, just go on the Google and look for Killer Mike and you'll find him speaking passionately about activism. Now, his May speech in Atlanta, I think, will go down in history as one of the most passionate any person has ever given about the subject. And look, while we talk about this, my interview explored his role in cartoons, the culture of rap, and what happens when you play Sweet Home Alabama in a room full of Southerners. <laughs> that was a real funny story. I, I enjoyed that. And while this discussion had some serious moments, it did. It got, it got serious a time or two. But as always, it was just two people drinking whiskey and talking. And we both asked ourselves, what if the world could just sit down and share a dram together? I mean, seriously, think about that for a minute. What if our leaders could sit down in a room with a little bit of bourbon and hash out their issues? I think, I think that would go a long way into improving our country's fate right now. So please enjoy this interview 
with the great Killer Mike of Run the Jewels. Someone I've been a fan of for a long time, Michael Rinder, also known as Killer Mike, best known as Killer Mike. How you doing, sir? Hey, Fred. How are you, man? Good to see you. It's great um, to see. It's great to see you. Uh, I wish yeah, this was in person. Yeah, the, the world has seemed to have closed on us for us. I know. I, I, and you were you were in my town uh, a couple years ago, and I didn't get a chance to meet you, but you. You headlined, Run the Jewels headlined uh, a show out here called Forecastle in, uh, yeah, in Louisville. Yeah, Forecastle is dope. Yeah, and I like Louisville a lot. It's it's a good town. It's a good town. Two other brothers who are co-producers, um, uh, Wilder, um, Zobi, and um, and Taco, are Louisville kids. They're, they grew up between Louisville and New York. Their dad was a prominent lawyer in Louisville, and their mom was uh, in New York, so... A lot of connection with Louisville, and um, learned about good bourbon. Well, you know, next time you're down here, you'll 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 have to get a special tour with me. Like I'll take you around all the little hidden gems in our in our city. And um, one of the one of the things I was excited to talk to you about, I was such a Frisky Dingo fan. I was a huge Frisky oh, Dingo I- fan. <laughs> what what happened to that show? I thought that was the best thing that uh, Adult Swim put out, especially early on. Kill face. Um, well, I, for those who don't know, while I was kind of in mixtape oblivion, figuring out what I was going to do next, I played a character called Killface on a show called Frisky Dingo. I have a relationship with Adult Swim, who also owned William Street Records, which put out the first record that LP and I did together called Rap Music. Um, so I got asked by Matt, them, the guy with Frisky Dingo, to 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 be essentially be the the arch villain of the show, which I'm a fan of villains. This villain was not a very good villain. The funny is, uh, uh, well, no, no, I wasn't Killface. I'm sorry. I was um, Taquil. I was Taquil. 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 I was a, I was a, like oblivious rapper. Um, <laughs> I wanted to be Killface, but I was in the middle of a war between good and evil, and I oftentimes made dumb mistakes. But the show was an amazing show, um, and it met its end because their show Archer, I think, just blew up. These guys yeah. also did Archer, and you know it's kind of like it, it, Archer was 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 like the Diana Ross of the group. She it just went out. So, but it got me into voice acting more, and I'm actually doing some more cool stuff in the next couple of years. I think I'm gonna pop up some big places that people wouldn't expect. But I'm very happy about that show. I liked it a lot. It's good to know you liked it. Well, you know, it, it was, we still, my wife and I, we still watch it. You know, we will, we'll play it oh, every now and then. <laughs> so it's like, we will pull it up on demand. And so it's got a, it's got a special place in our family, you know, I, and it, it's like, there's like this whole element of like animation rap too. Like you can, you can have a lot of fun and, and still like apply to your genre in, in a very creative yeah. way. That's what I love about it. Yes. There's an account I got to remember the name of. I got to send you. I had posted it a few weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago, where it had old um, 80s and 90s comics rapping different. Like there's a Speed Racer, Ghostface Killer, like his video. There's a Transformer one doing, I think, Sean P. There's me and L. So I think you guys will like that too. That's one of those things where you get to stay forever 12 years old. Yeah, it definitely. And I think that's why I like Adult Swim so much is I never really grew up. You know, I'm still 14 at heart in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah, who wants to grow up? Man, that, right. That's not that's not cool, you know what I mean? <laughs> Nobody wants to be an adult. Not even adults want to be adults. You got to pay uh, bills and shit. 
Yeah. Bill, bills work. And then, you know, people telling you what to do, even, even when you're the boss, somebody's telling you what to do. You yeah. Know? You, that all, you know, my wife, it's good to yeah. know. You know so. <laughs> so, you know, as we do on the show, we, we, we sip a little good whiskey and, yeah. you know, we, we, I sent you some stuff, but you also, you have a, you have a prize little gym there that you showed me before I, before we started playing. Yeah. And you got to tell me about this. So this is what my grandpa called corn whiskey or corn mm-hmm. liquor. Um, people refer to it as moonshine as a commercial name. It is brewed by unknown people and unknown a place that I won't name. And I can name this man, my uncle Ross, who's now dead, had a shine, you know, my whole youth until early adulthood life. And my grandfather earlier in his career as a, being a, 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 a man, he was a shine runner from Edenton, Georgia to Atlanta, Georgia. So his brother-in-law would brew the shine in Edenton. He would pick it up. I think he had an old Pontiac Tempest, maybe he told me, that, that he had jacked up. And they'd get, you know, however many gallons they could squeeze in the back, whether it was 10 or 100. And he'd bring it to his cousin Shot, who owned a shot house, what people would call a shot house when you go buy liquor on Sundays. Because in the South, you know, it was just that Jesus didn't want you drinking liquor on Sundays. So you go to the shot house, which his cousin shot owned, and he delivered between them. And interestingly enough, more of my family, I have a bio and a non-bio dad. And a lot of times people hear about my bio dad, who was a police officer for a short time when I was young. But my non-bio dad, who's a great human being, I love him just the same, his father was also a shine seller. And I remember ATF coming in our house about 1982, 83, and finding 100 gallons of moonshine in our attic. It was pretty funny. So you've got you you've got the whiskey flowing through your veins a little bit here, you know. You're yeah, it's in, the, yeah, it's in yeah. the family. Yeah, I'm not much of a drinker, but I drink whiskey. I love it. Well, we what is so the one that you just showed us is that good? Yeah, it's a good one. Um, friend of mine who who trusts I trust. You don't just buy shine from anybody. My grandpa would always talk about um, you want people using lead piping and things of that nature. So I, I tend to only get shine from people I know and trust. I mean, I have one friend from Alabama whose family um, is connected and brings it. I have a friend from Pine Mountain, Georgia. And of course, I still got friends and family from out and around the Edenton area. So it's only about three sources I trust Moonshine from, just because you never know who's brewing it. And you never know if they're mm-hmm. cutting corners to brew. Well, uh, as someone who's had a lot of moonshine, uh, the bad ones, man, you have a headache for like three days. So you're. Yeah, you're, nobody wants yeah, that. <laughs> nobody wants that. Yeah, that ain't what you want. That ain't what you want. That, yeah, that ain't what you want. But I don't even drink this stuff until like it's holidays or okay. have friends over. Because again, I'm not the drinker. So this is one that's flavored mango. And the rumor used to be if they flavored it, it wasn't good. But then I, I noticed my grandpa would bring this stuff home and he flavored itself with peaches. So some people like flavor. And I got these because friends of mine who can't get it like it. So I got these for a couple friends. This is a pine. This is a pineapple one here. And this is a mango one. Oh, but, nice. um, yeah. I don't dance with the shine when I got work to do. I got work to do after this, so I'm just gonna stick to a traditional whiskey. We're gonna, we're gonna stick to the stuff that we uh, yeah, that we yeah. know. You never know the we, yeah. You never know the proof, though. So you never know how strong it is. It's like <laughs> smoking marijuana in Northern California. You know. What I yeah. Mean? <laughs> oh, so and then we we have the have Uncle Nearest. Um, I sent yes, you some Uncle Nearest, it. and I got it. I've got um, now that's a barrel. Uh, you're you're sipping on um on a barrel of um, Uncle Nearest that I actually picked myself. So I picked this barrel, and oh, it wow. was okay. 
so this is um, this is a very special, very very special brand, an important history to it, and you know, I'll I'll kind of give some folks some, some background. So, uh, can I tell near- you a story, Kevin? Oh, please. All right, so here's the story. I'm going to sip some. I don't drink with many, so I'm drinking with you guys. I love you a lot. I tend to only put one or, or a very small ice cube in my whiskey because mm-hmm. it brightens up. It pops some of the sweetness out. Um, so I'm not a I'm not a room temperature drinker. I always just like just a just literally a slither of ice in there to kind of pop some of the flavor for me. But um, so so my grandpa would tell the story about how as a kid I was holding the gallon of shine. He went in a deep curve and I slid all the way across and he's reaching to grab me to make sure I don't fall out the door. And I looked down and tell him, I got it, granddaddy. And he just, he, he, I was just like his co-conspirator, his buddy. So he would tell me a story about a black man who was a former slave who had taught Jack Daniels to, to make whiskey. And you know, your, your grandparents telling you stuff, you're hearing it, but you don't really realize you're next to a living, breathing library. You know, I'm around someone who was there. I remember being fascinated with Al Capone and my grandpa telling me nobody cared about Capone. John Dillinger was the man. And later when I read, you know, Dillinger would rob banks and, you know, burn up loan papers and stuff. I was like, oh, that's why. Like, so he was a people's hero of sorts. So I'd always heard my grandfather and I always believed him, but I didn't believe, you know, I believed mm-hmm. it could happen. I could see that grandpa. I could see, you know, I could see, you know, I could, I could see the guy working. And, and saying, hey, you should do this. But when it came out, my grandfather had been dead. I honestly just prayed that night and prayed he heard me, just like, I love you for imparting all this wisdom on me. When when the story of Nearest Green came out and that photo showed who he was and this mytho- this, this, myth- this, this mythology that my grandfather had told me about that I assumed was to just make me feel a part of America. You know, mm-hmm. so when you're a black kid and you learn about the American Revolution, you learn about Christmas Addicts, the first person to die on the behalf of the country. When you an Amer- when you are learning about the Civil War, you learn not just about the, the Union Army and the Confederates, you learn about Harriet Tubman, you learn about other blacks that were prominent, you learn about Frederick Douglass. So I figured my grandfather's trying to make sure we're that I knew that we were involved in this country's history and, and the products that came out here in every way. I didn't know how much the mythology was truth and steeped in truth. And I, I, I nearly teared up to read it because it just confirmed something for me about the dignity of Southern working class men, period, but in particular black men, because these were the men I grew up around. So this brand has become, honestly, at present time, my favorite whiskey and one of my favorite whiskeys. And it's now something, a gift that I give to people, and not only because it's a fine whiskey that I happen to like better than Jack Daniels. I was never a, a big Jack Daniels drinker. But I, I, you know, I appreciate it if there was nothing else and we were on the road. I just, I just give me a bottle of Jack. But this I actually like, and more and beyond that, I, I get the chance to give it to people who I love and respect, and and, and tell them the story of it. So it's it's really been a um, a great addition to my gift giving um, as as the as the years pass. Yeah, as a so this th- this bottle, you know, I I sat down with uh, Jeffrey Wright, the James Bond actor, uh, who who's an investor in this brand and we talked about how much this this bottle and this and this brand you know means to the culture and the movement and and the one thing that he brought up in that interview was he 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 talked about like how there's an effort from you know 
from some people in this country to say that former enslaved persons weren't weren't necessarily Americans. And, you know, he pointed at this bottle and he's like, there ain't no way you're telling me that my family and nearest green, you know, were not Americans. So when I when I look at when I look at Uncle Nearest, I see I see a movement and an effort, you know, to bring back forgotten persons, you know, and nearest Absolutely. and nearest green in, in American whiskey history, it was probably the most forgotten person that did not get told in the stories. And this brand has come out and it's on like, you know, it's like lightning. And yeah. And the thing of it is, is that they've done a really good job telling their story and bringing back the history of nearest green. But like you said, the whiskey's good. The whiskey's, the whiskey's good. good. It is a good whiskey. It is a good whiskey. It is a good whiskey. I'm I'm definitely going to talk friskier to my wife today on the phone. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I think that it's important important for us to to know that um, you know, regardless of race, class, religious affiliation, in this country, we are truly a tapestry of a lot of different things to make what is great about this country great and. Mm-hmm. The, the presence of nearest in, 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 in proper presence, noted and, and, and um, indoctrinated into the history as it should be, not only brings another great whiskey to market, but it brings further possibility of inclusion on all levels from all of us. It takes, if all of us do a little, none of us have to do a lot in this country. And I feel that if more people in this country were less concerned with protecting their own whatever it is, and more with connecting with one another. I think that much like sipping a good whiskey together and talking some shit, that you know, greater understanding and empathy and comes out of those things a lot of times than you know, simple commands to be better. You know, so this 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 whiskey, like any good whiskey, to me, um, is going to bring people together. Should be bringing people together and creating you know an atmosphere of, of talk shit that'll progress mm-hmm. us in a way that I don't think politicians and arguing. You know, there used to be a saying in D.C., and that was like, you know, they would uh, they would use bourbon to quote lubricate the wheels of justice. I don't think <laughs> I, I don't think they sit down and drink together anymore. You know, it seems they like don't because everybody wants to eat avocado and drink spring water and, and talk <laughs> about which is fine. That's what I just finished doing after I left the gym. But because you know, there's a time for there's a time for whiskey. whiskey. <laughs> I, I will say on a local level, I, I know there are a lot of cigar and whiskey bars in Atlanta where a lot of, a lot of you know politics still happen. So hopefully they'll bring that back in DC. Yeah, get let, some across the aisle I mean, cooperation. We need, we do need that. We do need some, you know, our, our leaders to sit down and have a conversation. Um, you know, but it, it just right now, you know, you're kind of, I, I, I look at you, Mike, and I, I see you as, as a leader. I see you as someone who has not only used your voice and have been using your voice, but you've become a role model for so many Americans. Did well, you? I always tell people. Did you see this coming? I'm listening. I'm sorry. Well, did I plan it this way? No. I I wanted to be a rapper since I was not, and that. But in between the path. To becoming a rapper, I had these Forrest Gump-like adventures. I was told by my fourth grade teacher, Miss Ely, um, you shouldn't be a rapper. You're too smart. You should be a pilot. So I went and learned how to fly planes at 15, 16 years old. 
because public school offered a special program. They paid you to do it. I was like, I'll learn to do this. Me and Slim from 112, the lead singer from 112, were both in the same class. But I um, I remember coming back telling Ms. Ely, like, I really love flying. I'm glad you challenged me to do that, but I still want to be a rapper. Around the same age, 15, 16, I started organizing with a couple groups, Black Teams for Advancement. I started organizing uh, with Kids for a Change. And in my organizing, what I realized was that people who were suffering needed allies. And they all didn't often look like one another. We partnered with a few different organizations to make sure kids had a voice in my city. So I didn't understand that I was being prepped for leadership. And I was being trained by people like Reverend James Orange, who was a lieutenant to Dr. King, high-ranking member of the SCLC, um, was out of organized out of Selma with Dr. King. <laughs> things of that nature i didn't understand the value of i didn't devalue it but i didn't understand the the amount of wisdom that was being imparted on me so what i found is that in times of my life that opportunities not even opportunities situations or in serendipity have called for me to use those things and i've had to understand that i am a leader and i am a reluctant leader and then i had to understand that usually those are the ones that people want because I don't have a vested interest in a lot of the things I personally, I, my interest is in making sure community can connect and we can all do a little, so we don't have to do a lot. So I understand myself now to be considered a leader and I accept it humbly. But with that said, I also let people know I'm always going to smoke marijuana and I like the blue flame dance club. <laughs> and as long as you can tolerate me like whiskey, weed and, 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 and Occasional going to the strip clubs with my wife, I'll be glad to speak for you. But if you have a problem with that, I might not be the guy for you to follow. And I also am quick to tell people one day I'm going to fuck up and just allow me to say I'm sorry and let's get back on course because that's what human beings do. Human beings misunderstand, human beings overstay, human beings trip up. And the reason I realized I was a reluctant leader is because I didn't want to be a messiah or I didn't want to be someone held to a higher standard that people were willing to hold themselves. And perfect example is I see a lot of young men on the basketball court took a leadership position and said, stop, we're gonna stop money so people will pay attention to agents of the state killing people. And people were first like, well, we don't want you to do it and we don't think it's, and then there were these other people that said, well, you went back to work. But I noticed that the people that were saying they went back to work would never not go to their jobs. We, you know, What if everyone tomorrow said, we're not going to work until we fix this shit? then we would see immediate change. But a lot of times the burden that we place on leadership is we want them to do things that we aren't willing to do. And most leaders aren't Superman. They're more like Bruce Wayne. You know, they're smart. They got some fancy gadgets, but they can get hurt and broken up pretty bad. So in yeah. accepting my leadership, I never let people misunderstand that I'm a human being. I have a wife, I have a family. That's my first priority. Um, my immediate community and the wider community are definitely concerns of mine. But in my leadership, what I want to do is inspire all of us to lead where we can. I don't want to cut the whole block's grass. I want all of us to organize and make sure the, old, the grass gets cut. I want us to all do a little so no one has to do a lot. I want all of us to plot, plan, strategize, organize, and mobilize where we can. So we're led by morals and principles and not led by men. Because that's truly all I'm here to remind people of, that we are moral beings and we are principled. And if we stick to those things and if we let morals and principles lead us, then then we won't need to seek the leadership of man in the sense. Mm -hmm. You know, and you gave such a beautiful, passionate speech that you said, you know, 
you know, you didn't want to be there, you, you know, but I you did. felt responsible. Um, and it was your duty, you know, and, you know, a lot has happened since that, since that speech. Yes. A lot. Yes. And yes. I don't, I wish I could say things got better, but I don't. They have I, not. They have not. Yeah. But, but it's like a fever. That fever has to have to burn that infection out of you. And it's going to be ugly. But God willing, your immune system is going to fight for you and come back stronger. Right? We're on fire. We have never properly dealt with, like James Baldwin talked about, the issue of race in America, the issue of social justice, of redemptive justice. We've never dealt with these things. And until we deal with them, like the Truth and Reconciliation Committees in South Africa and I believe Rwanda, until we deal with the brutality that many of us face by aging in the state, until we deal with the fact that Black people are only 57 years free in this country, we were in an apartheid before then. They call it Jim Crow. Jim Crow sounds a lot nicer than apartheid, but we were in apartheid. When people talk about, I heard Mitch McConnell say, well, slavery was so long ago, it's almost irrelevant, paraphrase. Mitch McConnell's slavery was two Mitch McConnells ago. I have a picture of my great-grandmother who taught me to sew a button on a collar, who was alive till I was 10, who literally gave me these lessons who were given to her by her mother, who was an enslaved woman. So I am only my grandmother removed from slavery. My great-grandmother was the product of a woman that was enslaved in her lifetime, and she died a free woman. So there are things in this country that we're going to have to deal with from a truthful place. And I would encourage people to go to YouTube and Google Jane Elliott and watch her blue and brown eye experiment. So we can start to unlearn some of the indoctrinated bigotry and racism that we hold. And I believe that racism is curable in terms of identifying and then taking out of the systems in this country over a 20 year process. If you look at a child that goes into kindergarten and goes all the way through 12th grade and about 13, 13 grade levels, you're looking at about roughly 18 years, you can, in, in an 18 year lifetime of a child, radically change. My, I, as a, as a, as a eight year old, I never thought I'd see a black president. My daughter has never seen anything, but until, you know, Trump was her first white president, she was alive during Obama. So in her mind, there are no ceilings. In my mind, there were ceilings. And I think that this country, it's time to take the ceilings off and be the best possible Republic we can be. I think it's possible. And I think that Republic is only happens with a tapestry. It doesn't happen where you just throw everything in and make a goulash. You sew it together like a beautiful piece of fabric, like those quilts my great-grandmother stitched together. And it becomes a tapestry where each piece of fabric is important and lends itself to the greater overall comfort of that quilt. I absolutely agree. And, you know, I was, I was in the military, and you never saw, you know, people from all different walks of life work together better you know, than, yeah. than in a military setting. And I've never, I, I have never understood why, you know, this country can't be more like that setting that I experienced as a 18 to 25 year old man. And it's, it's disheartening that there is still so much, you know, hate. I mean, there's not a better word for it than but, hate. Yeah, but there won't be. You know, there there will always be. It's um the fever is usually hottest when it's when it's burning off the germs. You know what I mean? So there there's always a 
right? If you look at the one, what I've been amazed to see is that not only do you see the people who are protesting who look like me, you see their allies who don't look like us. You see Amish people out there. You see Asian people. You see Latino people out there. You see skateboarders out there protecting protecting um, their skateboards in the same way cops protect one another with shields. It's just been an amazing sight. So no matter what happens after this, this country has been transformed through the power of allyship and unity. So my encouragement is for people not to forget that and not to get so caught up in our particular cause or being right that we miss the moment of unification we're currently in. Mm-hmm. Well, cheers to that, my friend. That that's um, absolutely. You know, those those are words we all should really be, you know, living by. Um, you know, because we are one. We are we are one America. You know, we are we're absolutely. all Americans. And it's a tapestry. It's you know you don't become American and lose you know, whatever brought you here, whether it was the transatlantic slave trade or your people coming through Ellis Island, that is still very much a part of your story. But we have to understand it is a tapestry. It is different fabrics that are sewn sewn together to make this republic. And we have to appreciate, in much the same way that years late we appreciate Nearest, Mm -hmm. we must appreciate that bigger story and the culture that created Nearest. And part of that culture is painful. Part of it hurt. You know, part of it is, is shameful. You know, you have to understand that a lot of the people you revere as heroes did heinous things, and you have to come to grips with that. And um, I think for the most part, you know, my community has, you know, I, I don't see any black people not want to carry a dollar in their pocket because George Washington owned slaves, but they acknowledge he owned slaves. And it's time for the greater community to start to acknowledge, you know, not only the good, but some of the terrible, terrible and heinous mistakes and bads that have been done so that we can do like the six methods of king and non- nonviolence is the final step is reconciliation it's time we reconcile those things you know i i I, one of the things that i have i have learned um is that americans have often they they were very quick to try and move on and they don't necessarily want want to deal with that pain like if you take a look at 9-11 i mean within a week we had zero percent car deals and mattresses because quote we had to get the economy moving and I just feel like sometimes, like we 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 focus on on the wrong things as a society, and this like you're talking about that fever and everything. This just feels like one of those moments that it, you know, it is a turning point. It, it really does. It is, and we don't know what's going to happen next, but it's it's going to be a hell of a ride. Well, I know what you and I are doing. We're going to pour a little bit of uh, Johnny Walker now. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna pour. I got another glass. Now this is um, this. You told me that this is your favorite, or one of your favorites. Yeah, this is a favorite. These no, it's one of my favorites. These are my two favorite whiskeys currently. Okay. Johnny Walker on in years. As a long term, this my Tom Brady of whiskey. It's, oh, it's, 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 it's Johnny Walker Blues, yeah, your Tom Brady of whiskey. It's my Tom Brady of whiskeys because it's always there for me. It's always dependable. We've won more than we've lost together. And um, no matter what you think of it, it brings it home. Like I Now, I'm I assuming you're a Falcons fan. I mean, is that... I am. I, no, I no, 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 no. I'm a Falcons fan. I think I, the Falcons are wonderful. 
They've also broken my heart a lot since 1983. <laughs> so I followed, I followed a guy named Brett Favre out of Atlanta up to Green Bay. So I actually have cheered Green Bay over 20 years. And um, Brady, though, is just amazing. So you can't, he you is. can't deny Brady and Belichick were amazing. Now, I don't know what's going to happen in Tampa, but he and Belichick set a standard. Uh, I think, I think, field. I think Brady's going to have an incredible year. He's got a lot of talent, but. You know, I, yes. I'm with you on Brett Favre. I was um, I was an enormous Brett Favre fan. Like, oh, that's my man. Watching him play football was like, you didn't know if he was going to throw a pick to, or hit the referee in the head or throw an amazing touchdown, you know? Yeah, you didn't know if he was going to survive or die some games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Cheers. Cheers. So what are the as we sips uh, on what is you know widely considered one of the best whiskeys uh, on the market that you can, that you can get? It's behind a glass case, of course, but you can you can find it in a lot of stores, and that's yeah. the Johnny Walker Blue Label. Uh, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about you know the rap culture and, and lyrics, and how cognac and champagne are used a lot in um, in rap music, but bourbon and yeah. whiskey are not. Are not. Yeah, there's a, there, I, I don't, you know, I think that there's some correlation to France and black artists. You know what I mean? So whether it was black artists in the Harlem Renaissance or the French, but cognac and champagnes are both French, we we know. But um, Hennessy, apparently, Asians and black folks drink more of that stuff than anybody. So Koreans and black people drink a lot of Hennessy. But my Korean friend, Jin Wan, turned me on to Blue Label. He gave it to me as a gift. Then I got booked to do a Korean club early in my career. And I saw these, they would find booths. It was just, it was just like, you know, excerpt rap video, excerpt the black guys, just insert the Korean guys and girls. And instead of champagne and the cognacs, what I saw was was whiskey, all about whiskey. And I did, well, I did see Hennessy's too, but I saw a bunch of Johnny Walker. And, and I don't know why um, whiskey isn't bigger in rap culture, but I know I'm a drinker of whiskey. And the question becomes, does whiskey want to be in rap culture? Because I can tell you the other people reach out. Once they realize rap people like drinking tequila, you got all type of tequila from, mm -hmm. you know, tequila, this tequila, that, agave tequila. So if whiskey ever made a strong pivot into hip hop, especially Southern hip hop, I think Texas, Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, I think that there'd be a, a, a big movement toward it. But, um, you know, I, you got you to gotta court the girl you want. So if you want hip-hop, you know, I think you got to do some courting because I know a lot of people that drink bourbons and that are for the older guys' neighborhood that drink Jamesons and Jack and Johnny Walkers, the Reds and the Blacks. It sells a lot in the club in terms of the the, um, the strip clubs in Atlanta, but I think that there has to be a public embracing mm. of hip-hop by whiskey, you know? Okay. So I can't, I can't say whiskey's not getting drank because, you know, I can get, I can get Johnny Walker in the Blue Flame. The question becomes, you know who, who's which? Which companies are going to say? You know what? I, I think Killer Mike's the next Jay Z. Let's let's give him a let's give him a whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you want a whiskey, we can make that happen. I know a guy. I I, I definitely <laughs> I definitely I definitely when I get in the business would love to get in the whiskey business. I'm a I would love a premium premium whiskey with um with hip hop on it. You know. So yeah, absolutely. you know there's. There's a few out there, um, and, but there's not there's not a like you like you mentioned like there's not a big concentration of of, of the marketing for you know reaching hip hop. Uh, but I, 
you know, I do think that is changing, but Aquanirus is doing a great job. Yeah, they they really are. But you know, typically the you know the bourbon and the whiskey, it's just country music, rock and roll. Um, yeah, you know, and it's just about you know the right rapper saying this bottle cost me two hundred. Yeah, that's a big thing. You know? That's that's what you got to know. This is behind the glass for a reason. Uh, man, I was with um, Freddie Figures from Figures Wireless, which he's the only black wireless company. He's an inventor. He's a brilliant brother. But we went and we were in the Florida Panhandle um, last week, the well, week before last, and we got a bottle of Blue Label. It didn't survive the night. You know, all of us were drunk and singing by the end of the night. You know, so. <laughs> I love it. It's definitely a place for it. Well, Blue Labels, Blue Labels, very approachable. Um, you know, it's it's got some, it's complex, and you know, I, yes. If there is, if there was one that was going to break through and you know replace, uh, you know, Hennessy, I do think that this is one, you know, that could do it. Unfortunately, not everybody could get their hands on this one, but um, yeah, yeah. You know, but from a well, lyrics popular though, it, from a lyrics yeah. perspective, Bourbon doesn't roll off the tongue like Hennessy. You know, for a song, or could you? Oh no, no, no! That's not true. Now you could be swerving in the bourbon, fresh off a cup of bourbon. Oh, you know okay. what I mean? You, you could right. be lurking after searching with the homies sipping bourbon. You know what I mean? The girls could be curving; they just want to ice and bourbon. You know, it's it's a it's a lot of slang in the sermon, man. Afterwards, I sell bourbon. It's a uh, lot I of f- ways to get it in there. It ain't hard if you're a wordsmith. I feel like magic just happened. I, it just, that was <laughs> that, that was that was great. <laughs> <laughs> so well, one of the things that I, I it's also unique about rap is there's a lot of collaborations and yeah. you you love collaborating with uh with rockers you know from from rage um you know and you and you've you're really into you've no, talked about how you're into like heavy metal and heavy rock is there is yeah. there a is there a heavy rock band that you think would be cool to collaborate with on a song that you've always wanted to collaborate uh, I, with? I, I would love for Led Zeppelin to run the jewels. I would love for, um, I'd love to be able to sample any of that first Sabbath album. Um, Lars came from Metallica, came to one of our shows. I was nervous as shit. I love the Chopper Metallica sample. Um, um, Shouts out to Jared from Papa Roach. He reached out to me. I'm trying to get something cool done for them. I appreciate that. Rage, of course, we're going to tour with. And Zach De La Roca's jumped on three consecutive albums now. So, you know, I'm just a fan. M.I.A. is, I don't know if she's considered rock, but I know, but M.I.A. is somebody who I just think is incredible. We love to rock with. Um, Nine Inch Nails, of course, I would love. Marilyn Manson um, of the Beautiful People era. Um, that, the beats were amazing. I would love to get a 16 in with him. Um, who else? Who else is dope? Um, that's it for now. Oh, oh man! Oh, now get the fuck out of here, Armin Brothers. I'm a Southern, so I'd love to be able to chop up like Midnight Rider or Whipping Post. Oh. Um, I love and and Leonard Skinner. I I can remember being in and we, I was with Yellow Wolf, and it was KP's birthday party or Yellow Wolf's party. It was KP. KP was an A and R. That A and R. He discovered Yellow Wolf and A and R for me. And well, it was his birthday or Yellow Wolf's birthday, but we were in New York. Uh, and D Nice, I think, was DJing, and the club owners in New York sometimes a hip hop club, but the club owners aren't hip hop, so they're just being assholes. Like every time we get a little crunk, like it just there's whiskey pouring because these are a bunch of southerners, so there is whiskey mm-hmm. pouring at this party. 
So we're man, we're getting hyped. This shit's turning into this is it's turning into Alabama and Georgia. It's turning into just the funniest shit ever. And they attempt to quiet the party by telling D Nice to play. Um, it was D, D, I think D dip, but they told another DJ just play something to calm him. And this DJ realized in this moment he had made the mistake of his life because he played Sweet Home Alabama <laughs> in a in a room full of Southerners who were drunk as shit off whiskey. And I don't give a fuck if you were black or white. If you were from the South at that moment, all you heard was Sweet Home Alabama, the beautiful sounds of Leonard Skinner, and the Dukes of Hazard was playing through your goddamn line. And we, we, we damn near tore that section up. We had so much fun. So. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I love that. That's a great whiskey story. Absolutely. So you're also starting to see like country and, and hip hop kind of like come merge a little bit. Could you ever see yourself doing a collab with a, with a country singer? First of all, shouts out to my homeboy, Wheeler Walker. He's dope. So Wheeler, he's, he's dope as fuck. Who knows what'll happen, but. I want to say that I didn't realize so many hip hop producers and writers were producing and writing country music because whenever you're talking about country or blues or even rock and hip hop, you're talking about worker class music, mm-hmm. blue collar music. So the same where a country singer is going to sing about his souped up Ford F-150 and his love of his girl and hanging out at the lake and drinking Budweiser, you know, the rap guys are going to talk about his souped up 74 Capri sitting up high. You know, the girls he loves and, and, and drinking, hopefully, whiskey, but probably talking about champagne. So I find that we have a lot more in common than we don't. So it doesn't surprise me at all. You know, I in like just right now is just all these musicians can't get out and tour. They can't connect with their fans because of COVID. And it, it, this is this is a very difficult time for, for people who haven't crossed over on that other side of, of music. Do you, do you have any uh, words of advice for, for young musicians coming up right now who, who are kind of can't play in front of audiences? People are bored and watching their phones. So give them all the content you can. If it's you singing fresh out the shower and it's a, if it's going to make people feel good, give it to them right now, give them the content for free and sell a t-shirt or two or something that to keep you going because artists need to make money. So people need to understand that too. In order for artists to remain the independent, free, loving people that are giving you this content for free, mm-hmm. you know, show them some love, buy a t-shirt, donate, send five bucks to the cash app or something, you know, whatever, however the means is to get paid these days. But artists create content. People are locked in. People are feeling helpless and hopeless. And a lot of times your art is the only thing that gives people that hope to push through the day. So be hopeful, be resilient in your art and get it out to people as best you can, whether it be your convos app or your IG app or whatever the new or next app is. Don't go to Twitter or Facebook. It's just moms over there arguing about presidency right now. Um, <laughs> wait till after November. <laughs> <laughs> just fucking moms, bro. Just moms. You know what I mean? There is a lot of arguing going on on Twitter and Facebook. Oh, bro, that's just <laughs> arguing over bullshit. You're like, God, now I, I used to get like hot girls on Twitter doing crazy shit. That is not even just no now. It's just moms, just like. <laughs> and and you can't if you get in if you get in the middle of it, you can't win. There's yeah, you can't. Don't even get me. I learned my lesson. Just stay out of it. Just watch it. It's a TV show. <laughs> we we are in the middle. Of um of a reality show of sorts, but we will get through this. You know, this is we're, yeah. 
this will pass. We will. That's one thing I, I, I honestly, I'm a, I'm a believer in this country, you know, and um, not because of the republic itself, but the people who make it up. And I don't mean the politicians and the leadership. We found a way more times than not to figure it out. And instead of just coexisting this time, we should find a way to really progress and to tighten up the, the tapestry that we are. Well, on that note, my friend, I'll just grab. Did you you had did you have another whiskey that you wanted to taste, or because um, I thought you just wanted to taste the two? But if you have another, I have the two. Um, I may have. A, well, no, I'm not going to get drunk. I got shit to do. But I, I'll I'll do this though. I'll, I'll sip some shine. Oh, he's this folks, is for my grandpa. He's bo- He's busting out the shine for his grandpa. I, and you know what? Yeah, this I had for my grandpa Willie. I got a little shine here too. All right, so we'll do it. Let's do it. I'm literally going to pour a just a shot. I'm going to keep mine in the jar because that's all I got left. But That's what you got? That's all, all right, I got here. Do we'll do it out the jar then. Let's get it. Love and respect. Love and respect, my friend. Woo. Oh, yeah. That's definitely not as good as the walker. Oof. How do they drink that shit? Well, the eight, like my grandpa told me, though, you're drinking to get drunk. <laughs> but listen, Mike, you can't blame me for later if you get in trouble with the wife. So, but uh, <laughs> yeah, so I got a day off. I'm pretty good today. Right on. <laughs> well, Mike, I, it's such a pleasure. I, I, I look forward to, to hanging out with you, whether in Atlanta or Louisville. Um, we'll get it done. And, and, and toasting like this and. Uh, I'll close with the question. Are you still collecting Hot Wheels? I am. And shouts out to Brian from over there. I think they're about to have me do something um, cool one day. So, um, yes, I still collect Hot Wheels. Yes, my wife is still very angry about that. Yes, my mother-in-law tells her, as long as he's collecting real cars and toy cars and not women, leave him alone. Yeah. And um, the, I, wa- I want <laughs> I want to give a shout out to David Johnson, who was my Morehouse brother, my freshman year at Morehouse, and he's from Louisville, and um, he's just a great guy. He has a fencing, I think, and company out there, but David's a great human being. I love him to death. I haven't talked to him in a while, but it'd be wrong not to shout the homie out in his hometown. Oh, he's a good... I've met David before. He's a good dude. He really... His father, his father was... I remember when I met him, his father's company had been in Fortune magazine. It's like the largest minority trucking um, division that Ford was doing business with him. I just kept saying his name, like David Johnson. I was like, you're fucking rich. <laughs> and I remember him telling me to, he was like, shut up. I was like, your dad's in fortune. And, and a black enterprise or fortune. But we, we, we've been friends since. David is a very good man. And I really respect him and his dad a lot. Awesome. Well, Mike, right. thanks for coming on. Uh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Chat, yeah, chat Send me your t shirt sizes. Let me send you some shit too. Absolutely. Well, I'm afraid after you know more the more the days that COVID goes on, the bigger that t-shirt size is going to get. So, well, how about how about I'll just send you some of my stuff too, then? But yeah. just send me, <laughs> make sure my publicist gets that, and let's get you some stuff and stay safe. And I hope to see you in Louisville soon. Cheers, my friend. Be safe. Cheers. Love and respect. Peace. Cheers. Uh, that was a really great interview for me. Uh, I enjoyed that discussion immensely, and my time with Killer Mike, I think, is. I don't think it's over. I find myself like sitting down him with him in person, um, you know, drink a little bit more bourbon because uh, I really enjoyed my time with him. And a big shout out to his publicist for helping set up that interview, Jennifer Farmer, 
who will actually be coming on the show down the road. She's an author, and we're going to sip some whiskey and talk about the fun times of writing books. I've written seven books, and anybody who has a book coming out, it is an incredibly stressful time. So we're going to give uh, Jennifer the full support and uh, make sure that we sell some copies for her. So if you get a chance, go into a bookseller's website and check out her new book coming out, First and Only, A Black Woman's Guide to Thriving at Work and in Life. And she's also, she's got another book uh, that's been out called uh, Extraordinary PR on an Ordinary Budget. That's that's one where if you're, in a, if you're a publicist, you might want to go check that out because uh, Jennifer is actually... Uh, one of the best publicists in the game. So, And, of course, she helped set this up. And a big thanks to Killer Mike for coming on the show. I hope you enjoyed listening to him. I just think he's a special human being, and um, he's honest. And I think we lack a lot of honesty today amongst um, not just not just politicians, but ordinary people. You know, if we can be more honest with one another, uh, I think the place would be a little better. And I know, I know one thing that helps... With that little glass of bourbon, and I, I said this at the top, and we talked about it in the interview. But wouldn't it, the world be a better place if we could all just sit down with people we don't even agree with, and have a glass of bourbon and just talk? You know, I just think the world would be a better place. It's you know it's something something to think about. So that's going to do it for this episode. If you get a chance, chance it helps uh, support the show. To give us a review, go uh, subscribe, and you know tell your friends about it. We're we got a lot of uh, big names coming on the show. We're just drinking whiskey and talking about life and culture, just like this one with Killer Mike. But if you, uh, if you have some comments that you would like to share with me privately, you can always go to fredminnick.com and just click contact. I will re- read them and uh, reply. Um, next week, I have a future NFL Hall of Famer and Jared Allen. If you don't recall Jared Allen, he basically ate quarterbacks for a living at the Minnesota Vikings. That dude... He was a machine. Uh, I loved watching him play, and I can't wait to talk to him about his thoughts on the in- upcoming NFL season and uh, to see what he, see what kind of palate he has. I, I bet uh, I just I don't imagine like this is a guy that was like tasting bourbon while he was playing. I think there might have been some bourbon involved, but I don't think he was tasting. He was probably coming straight from the bottle. <laughs> but as always, follow me on social media if you get a chance. Just go to um, look for uh, Fred. Minnick on all the channels and I just appreciate you coming on and listening I thank you for your time and I appreciate you giving um, listening to Killer Mike who I think is just just awesome so until next week be kind to one another and stay safe I'll see you next week cheers You've been listening to The Fred Minnick Show, brought to you by Beeline. Visit findyoursippingpoint.com by Michter's American Whiskies. For more information on Fred's books, articles, and more, just go to fredminnick.com. Fred Minnick.